Let's go to God's Word again, back to the book of Romans, chapter 8. We've been working our way systematically through the book of, uh, through the chapter of Romans, chapter 8. And in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul has given us a summary or a snapshot of what it truly means to be in Christ and what it means to be saved. And we've said this, and I'm going to say it again, you're either saved, you're either in Christ, or you're not this morning, okay? And if a man is not being sanctified, being conformed to the image of Christ, he gives no reason to suppose he is justified. And so we got to understand, and hopefully you are by now, there's no dual citizenships. You're either in Christ or you are lost. And, you know, we hear a lot of people talking about at times what a blessing it is to be an American. And I, it is. It's a blessing to be raised in this country. But you know what? Paul gives us the blessings of being in Christ, the privileges of being in Christ. And so far we've looked at in chapter 8, we said, first of all, for those in Christ, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. Then we said there's also liberation in verse 2 and 3 because we've been set free from the principle of sin and death by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then in verses 5 through 8, he tells us there is regeneration. There's a radical change in our lives. There's a change in our course. There's a change in our condition. There's a change in our custody. Then we saw in verses 9 through 13, there's a new obligation not to live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Then we saw there's a new rela relation. We're no longer slaves to fear, but we're, now we are sons of God. We are the adopted sons of God. And then last week in verses 17 through 25, we saw this eager expectation that we have in Christ Jesus because even though we live in a world that is full of suffering, it's full of sickness, it's full of pain, it's full of heartache, guess what? For a child of God, there's always a better day ahead. And I'm not talking about next week. I'm not talking about the second Wednesday of November when we vote. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we get to heaven, when we get our new glorified bodies. Oh, what a joy it is going to be. And so this morning, we're going to look at verses 26 and verses 27, and we're going to introduce a new benefit a new privilege for those in Christ that Paul introduces in this chapter. And so let's read these two verses, then we'll go over what the benefit is. He says in verse number 26, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Phillips translation says verse 26 like this. The Spirit of God not only maintains this hope within us, but he also helps us in our present limitations. And so this morning, I want to look at another benefit that we have in Christ, and I want to say it like this, that in Christ, there is cooperation. Okay? There's cooperation with the Spirit. Now, go back to verse 26, and look what he says. He says, in the same way, now the King James Version would say it like this, likewise, 
what this does is this points us back to the previous verses, particularly verse 25, when the Apostle Paul is talking about suffering, pain, and how creation groans, how the Christians groan, and how even though we've got this pain, we've got this suffering, it is the hope in Jesus Christ that helps us get through this pain, this suffering, this sin-sick world. Notice what he said in verse 25. He said, but if we hope for what we do not see, we, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And so the same way hope, and this hope is not wishful thinking, it's confident assurance, helps us through pain and suffering, the Holy Spirit of God also helps us. Now, let's look at this word help here in verse 26. Now, I want you to look at the, here's the Greek word for help. I'll show you what I'm facing. And you guys want to take a stab at it after church, let me know. But this word in the help is that word. Okay? And what this word means is he joins to help. It speaks of the action of a person coming to another's aid by taking hold of over against that person of the load they are carrying. Now, this word is only used one other time in the New Testament. And we find it in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, when Jesus goes to the home of Martha and Mary. And we know that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus, and Martha is encumbered about with many different things. And Martha, in her frustration, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do, listen, all the serving alone? And so Martha tells Jesus, tell her, Mary, to that word, help me. In other words, I need a helping hand in this kitchen. Now, let me kind of put it like this. If I was given the task of moving this altar from here into the kitchen area, I could pick this end up, okay, but if I tried to do it myself, I would damage the altar. I would damage everything from here to there because I can't carry this load by myself. But the helper he's talking about here, he comes along, he picks up the other end of the altar, so to speak, and if I got somebody that can pick up the other end, I don't drop my end and say, you take it. I've still got to do my own work, but that person would come along in cooperation and help me with the load. 
And so this is what the Apostle Paul wants us to realize that for those of us in Christ, even though we're going through pain, even though we're going through suffering, even though we're going through hard times, we are not carrying this load alone. We've got a helper that is picking up the other end that is helping us make it through this life. Now, why does he do that? Well, in verse 26, go back to verse 26, we, we see first and foremost our limitations, okay? Our limitations. Look what he says here. He says, in the same way, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. Now listen, this word weak just simply means this. It means literally without strength and speaks of the state of incapacity to do or experience something. Now listen, we are weak in numerous ways. We're weak emotionally because at times our life's like an emotional roller coaster. Right? There's times when we are excited to get in God's Word. We're excited to go to church. We're excited to do the things of God. And there's other times when we're discouraged. We don't have the strength. We don't have the want to. We, 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 we get, we, there's so much that is going on. I call it Mondays for pastors. That we just want to chuck it. David, same way. Listen, David was a man that could kill a giant. But when he went to the Philistine territory and seen the king there where Goliath's hometown... The Bible says that David acted like a madman because he was afraid of what those people were going to do to him. Killing giants one day, acting like a crazy man later on. Why? Because he was humanly, emotionally weak. Elijah's the same way. Elijah can call down fire from heaven one day. And the next day, he's like, I, I, that's it, God just go and kill me. I'm ready to get out of here. Why? Because he's human. Now listen, we're also weak physically because as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 that we're just simply jars of clay. We're just simply jars that are like pottery. Now if you've ever had pottery, you know how fragile pottery is. Pottery will chip, it will crack, it will break. You drop it, it breaks into a thousand pieces. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, we're just like that because we are simply weak. Now, while there are many weaknesses and limitations that we have that I just mentioned here, Paul is not talking about emotional weaknesses here. He's not talking about physical weaknesses here. But he's specifically talking about in one way in which we are limited, in one way in which we are weak. And here's what he says in verse 26. He says, for we do not know how to pray as we should. 
And so the weakness he's talking about specifically here is our weakness in regards to our prayers. Now let's dig a little deeper here before we, uh, before we continue on. Paul is not talking about the concept of prayer here. He's not talking about the concept of prayer. Okay? He's talking about the content of our prayer. Okay? Listen. He's not talking about someone that never prays. Okay? We know how to pray. Matter of fact, Jesus, when he was with his disciples, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus said, when you pray, you pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we, he's not talking about the concept of prayer because Jesus has given us a model of prayer. So it's not talking about the pattern of our prayer. That's the reason why we're weak. But he's talking about the content of our prayer. And it's simply this. For we don't know how to pray as we should. In other words... We don't know how to always pray as we should because we have these limitations. We have these weaknesses. What is the one he's talking about here? It's simply this. We don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen in an hour from now. Because we look through a glass darkly and because of that, we don't know what is best for us in our situation. See, there's two aspects of God's will. There's His sovereign will and His revealed will, okay? Now, His revealed will is what is explicitly, plainly expressed in Scripture. Now, we know that. In other words, we know that it's not God's will for us to commit fornication. For us, we should abstain from sexual immorality, those kinds. We know it's not God's will for us to commit adultery. We know it's not God's will for us to steal, to kill, those kind of things. That is explicitly put in Scripture, but there's also what I would call the sovereign will of God, which are the secret things of God that we will never know until after they happen. Okay? And so... Because I am limited in knowing the sovereign will of God, there are times when I pray selfishly. There are times when I pray ignorantly. And there are times when I pray too narrowly. Let me give you an example. James would say it like this in James 4 and 3. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So it's not that they're not praying. They're praying. But the thing is this. They're praying selfishly. They're praying prayers so that they could spend it on their own pleasure. Let me give you more examples of this. You ever had somebody say to you, 
pray that I get this job. Because if I get that job, I can make more money. I will have better benefits. And see, what you don't know is that when you take that job, it's going to cause you to travel. It's going to put you around some shady people. It's going to cause you to forget church because you'll be gone all the time. And you can't see that in the future, but yet you want me to pray for that situation, for it to work out like you want it to work out, right? And so even though what you think you're praying for is a good thing, you don't know what that's going to lead you to. I pray that he'll ask me out. Okay. So you don't know who he is. Well, you see him in his nice Sunday suit. But you don't see him when he's out in town. Come on now. Have you ever prayed a prayer that looking back on that prayer, you're thankful that God didn't give you what you asked for? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can honestly say this, there are some things I prayed for that I got that looking back on them, I wish I wouldn't have got it. Come on now. Right? And, and, and listen, we're not, it's, it's not that we're the only ones that do this. If you look at Scripture, even the one that the Holy Spirit is using to write this in Romans chapter 8, there's a time in his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read verse 7 through 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look what he says here. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. He said concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. So, what, so let's stop there for a second. What is Paul's prayer here? God, I think I know what's best and what would be best if whatever this thorn is, you just get it out of my life. You understand his limitations and his weaknesses, he don't know what to pray for. He thinks he knows what he wants, what, what he needs to pray for. Now, let's get this out of here. But what does God tell him? Verse 9, he says this, And God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul says this, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And so the specific weakness he's talking about here is in our petitions in the fact that there are times we just simply don't know what we should pray for. We're limited. We're just simply limited. But then he gives us not our limitations, but his supplication. Okay? Look, continue on verse 26. 
even though we're weak in that area, he says this, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now notice that the Spirit himself, he doesn't outsource the job, but he himself intercedes for us. That word intercedes means to bring a petition or request to a king on behalf of someone, ask for something with urgency and intensity who is in trouble. So even though we don't know what to pray for, there is someone that is praying for us, that is making supplication for us. And this word here, he says, this word intercession, now let, let's, let, me, let me say this. I do not believe that what he's talking about here is what the Apostle Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 40, excuse me, 14, verse 14, when he says, if I pray in a tongue, my mind is unfruitful. I don't think he's talking about that here, Okay. And I'll give you the two reasons why, okay? The first one is because of the verb tense. In other words, the verb tense here is in the present tense. It's active and it's also indicative. Let me say it like that. In other words, because the verb is present tense, what that tells me is this is something that is always going on. It's always going on. Another thing is that this verb is also active, which means this, that the subject, in this case the Holy Spirit, carries out that action, and that is also indicative in the fact that what he says there is this is a fact, it's not based on your feeling, this is exactly what is going on all the time. Second reason is this, because he says that these groanings they are too deep for words. King James says it like this. He says, which cannot be uttered. The CSB says it. these are inexpressible groanings. In other words, you can't see it, you can't hear it, but they are going on regardless of your feelings. We know that Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Now, I can't see Jesus praying for me right now. I can't see it with my natural eyes. Okay? I can't even hear it. But I do know, according to the scriptures, that is exactly what he is doing for you, for me, for all of us in Christ Jesus, this is exactly what is going on for us. And so he says that you're limited in your prayers because you don't know what to pray for. But even though you don't know what to pray for, there's one that is making supplication for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, which you don't even understand. They're so deep. You ever remember this a few years ago when they had the, the ringtones that only younger people could hear? Right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, just stay with me. Okay, I'll just pick back up in a little bit. But they would play that high-pitched sound, and people would say, I can hear that. 
And the older folks be like, oh, I can't hear that. Well, just because you can't hear it with your natural ear does not mean it wasn't going on. And what we need to realize is even though we're limited in what to know or, or how we should pray for certain situations, there is someone that is right now making supplications for you, that is praying for you. And so we see our limitations, we see his supplication, and now we move to what I would call our consolation, which is our comfort in this fact, and that is simply this, verse 27. He says, and he, and the he here is God. So we can read like this, and God who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so this is our comfort that we take. Even though we don't know what to pray for, we don't know how to pray for a certain situation, there's someone that is praying for you right now. When you go to bed tonight and you don't have conscience, thoughts, there's someone that is praying for his children right now. And the great thing about this is it says that God knows our heart. Now, what does that mean to me? You ever had somebody that maybe they, they, they said something the wrong way? And so you kind of got upset about it, and all of a sudden somebody said, well, listen, I know it's hard. He didn't mean it the way you took it. Has anybody besides me ever done that? Right? What he says here is God knows our intent. He knows our heart. And if he knows our intent, if he knows our heart, what makes you think that he does not know the mind of of the spirit that he does not know the desires the thoughts of the whole, three in one they're in complete unity and the thing is this the holy spirit of god is praying prayers for you he's praying prayers for me that is not according to my will not according to my wishes not according to my wants my desires but he is praying for you according to the will of God. And you know how to get a prayer answered? It's not by praying certain phrases. It's praying according to God's will. If you pray according to God's will, it is going to be 
answered. But guess what? We don't always know God's will. But there is one that is praying for us, and he's not praying selfishly. He's not praying for your, for your wants, your desires. He is praying for you according to the will of God. And when he prays according to the will of God, guess what? That prayer is going to be answered. It's going to be answered. Let me put it like this in a, in, 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 let me illustrate like this. St. Augustine was born in 354 A.D. Now St. Augustine has been called one of the most significant Christian thinkers of our time at his death. But it wasn't always like that. As a matter of fact, in his first up to 30 years of his life, he lived a life of debauchery, sexual immorality. Even though he had a godly mother, his mother's name was Monica, and she prayed for him for the first about 30 years of his life, he was living a life that was totally contrary to how she had raised him. Well, one day he came to his mother and he said, Mother, I have got offered a job. Now, he was, he, he was born in, in northern Africa. He said, Mother, I've got a job that's been offered to me in Italy. And so he said, I'm going to move to Italy, Mom. And his mom began to hit her knees and she said this. She prayed like this. She said, Lord, don't let Augustine go to Italy because if he goes to Italy... He's going to just go deeper and deeper and deeper into this lifestyle of sin. And I want to see him come to know you. Well, the day came. And sure enough, Augustine packed his bags and went to Italy. His mom went with him. And when he got to Italy, he continued his life of debauchery. But it just so happened that while there in Italy, he became friends with some people who were stout, devout Christians. And those Christians led him to Christ. And it was at that time that he became one of the most influential persons in all of Christianity. What are you saying? Think about it now. Think about it. The Holy Spirit of God took Augustine's mom's deepest desires. He redirected those desires before God's throne. And her son became saved. If her mom would have had her way, he would have remained in northern Africa. But God said, no, 
I've got a greater plan for him and it's not according to your will. It's not according to your whims. It's not according to your wishes, your desires because my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and there's times in our life that God does something totally different from how we would want things done. But yet what we got to realize, even though God sees our heart and sees that, yes, we want something good, there's times we don't know how it should happen. And this helper, he says, I'll take those prayers. And I'm going to redirect them. And they're going to be right prayers in accordance with God's will and not our selfish wants. You've got to understand that. Yes, we're limited. We're weak. We don't know what to pray for in certain things. We don't, need, we don't know what to pray, Lord, get my, my son needs to be arrested, not set free. But you don't know. We think we know what's best, and we don't. But I have a Heavenly Father that absolutely knows what I have need of. And when I can't lift the load, I got to realize there's one that's there that's saying, I'll pick up the other end. You're limited. You can't do it, but I'll do it. I'll help you do it. And listen, I'm going to say this. He's not going to do everything for you. He's your helper. He came to help you. And even though we don't know what we should pray for, there is someone right now that is making intercession for us with groanings that cannot be, oh, you cannot understand, you can't hear them, but they're happening right now before the throne room of God. And I'm going to say this, listen, if you're a child of God this morning, God is doing a thousand things in your life right now. Most of which you can't see, you don't understand, but He is doing it. And you won't understand everything on this side. But you've got to simply go by the fact that while we don't know because of our limitations, we have someone that is praying for us, that is turning those prayers, and he's praying according to God's will. And that's a fact that I can rest in. Even though I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to pray for, yet I take consolation in the fact that I've got a helper, that right now he is bombarding the throne room of God for me, for my petitions, and for my needs. And God knows exactly what I need. Oh, I know what I want. But a lot of times what I want is not what I need. And sometimes we may be like the Apostle Paul and we may say, God, I think it's best if you just take this away. And God says, no. I give it to you. And the reason why I gave it to you is so it's because 
because it's going to keep you on your knees depending on me. You understand? I mean, have you figured this out? You ever, you ever realize once in your life you think, if I can just get this right here, it's going to be smooth sailing then. It never has been. Once you deal with something, guess what? There's always something else. It's not going to be over until you get on the other side. And that leads us to the great verse we'll start next week. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to them who love God, who are called according to His purpose. That's not a universal promise for everybody. That's only a promise for those in Christ Jesus. That, listen, Monica, St. Augustine's mom, would say, Him going into that's not that's not good. But God was using what she thought was something bad, and He was going to use it for His good. And we can rest in that fact that even though we don't know what to pray for, I don't know, Lord, if you need to deliver them out of it or just develop them in it. But I take solace in the fact He's praying for me. And He's never prayed a prayer that God hasn't answered on my, for my good and for His glory. Can we stand?